we were um, high school sweethearts. Got best couple senior year. It's so, so cheesy, but yes, we got best couple senior year. <laughs> and Donna was a cheerleader, I was a football player, and that's how we kind of got introduced through yeah. that, through sports. It, it was, I, I was more, I think, attracted to Donna than Donna was to me at that time. And sure. so, um, I was the hard sell. Yeah. <laughs> but now I can't get rid of her. So it yeah. Must, it must have been something there. Not only do we spend a lot of time together at home, but we also spend a lot of time at work. Isn't that nuts? <laughs> Somehow we make that work. And, I, and a lot of people ask how we do that, that we, we don't kill each other. Honestly, when we're at work, though, we have our own separate roles and he travels and does his thing with his accounts. I do my thing. And so it, it works out just fine. Um, what I thought was really interesting is when we finally became empty nesters, I suppose, um, because we thought, you know, are we ready for this? Because talk about really being together. That's going to be it. So the first one that went off to college, that was, well, they both were. They were rough. I mean, it was hard when you realize that your child is finally at that point, that threshold of life when they're just kind of now, you're just tethered on. But, um... When we finally had some time to ourselves and we were not having to really report in, oh, we loved it. Yeah. And then when they come home from college, you're just like, oh, when when do you go back to school again? <laughs> I guess just having the freedom to do what we want to do rather than having to take care of someone else or someone else's schedule. And uh, Yeah, it was someone else's schedule. Yeah. You know, okay. The kids are always running in different directions. Even when they were in college, we'd be going up to visit them quite a bit. But now that... Being empty nesters, we do what we want to do when we want to do it. Yeah, it, it was. It's kind of like um, dating again before kids. You know, BC before children. And once the kids come, life just becomes a complete blur. And um, all good, all really good. I wouldn't. We wouldn't take any of that back. They were. They were wonderful years. But at the same time, you kind of forget what that's like until suddenly you become this empty nest and you look at each other going, huh, I remember this, this was fine. Well, that was Bill and Donna Fiedler who have been married 35 years and have navigated some of the really tough transitions in life really, really well. And I say that because not everybody does, right? Not every couple navigates all the transitions that are going to hit us in our life together well. And there are a lot of them that can ambush us with their complexity and their difficulty. There are a lot of transitions from the day you get married, you know, setting up a house together, learning to share that, keep it real, learning to share a bathroom is not always fun. Um, there are just a lot of transitions. You find new jobs. You have the birth of your first child. You move to a bigger house. You lose your job. You have a second child. That first child goes off and goes to school. Your oldest child goes to college. You have another child. Now, we had friends that actually happened to. They dropped their daughter off at college, and a few days later found out that the wife was pregnant. That is not a transition, that's a disaster. <laughs> you know, about the point that you think you have this whole marriage and family and child-raising thing figured out, they leave. 
And you're confronted with another transition that can be tough, the transition to the empty nest. That change can be really tough to navigate. I think that's why the statistics are so startling to me, that one in four marriages, 25% of marriages that make it to the empty nest don't make it through. The divorce rate for empty nesters is 25%. And that rate has more than doubled in the last 15 years. It seems like it's getting harder, not easier, to make it through that transition. And that seems counterintuitive to me. I don't know about you. It seems like couples that have been together for 20 or 30 years ought to have this whole thing figured out. They ought to breeze through that empty nest phase of life. It ought to be, as we call it, the golden years of their life. (laughs) Connie and I started talking about the empty nest almost from the first day we were married. Because we wanted to have kids, but we wanted to have them when we were young enough to enjoy them, young enough to enjoy our life together that would hopefully come after, young enough to be those active, exciting grandparents that in our heads I think we are. And in spite of all that talk, somehow the empty nest, it managed to creep up on us. 2004, our daughter got married, left home. A year later, our son said, hey, I've decided I'm transferring to a college in Southern California. And just like that, we were thrown into the empty nest. I was 45. Connie was much younger. (laughs) I've got to be honest, adjusting to the empty nest was a little more challenging than we thought it'd be. The empty seats at the dining room table reminded us, every single meal reminded us of the change that we'd gone through. The refrigerator that used to be stocked and overflowing just to feed four people was now half empty all the time. And there was a quiet, a stillness that settled over our home. And one morning at breakfast, in one of those awkward silences, We dared to verbalize the question that we had both been thinking. Will we be enough for each other? Uh, Good morning, everybody, and happy Mother's Day to all the moms and grandmas and great-grandmas in the house, and a special welcome to all our families participating in the parent-child dedication. Um, I do have to say that this is a weird topic, a little bit, to be talking about on Mother's Day and Parent-Child Dedication Day to be talking about the empty nest. Except, perhaps, if your child hasn't been sleeping well, you may be looking forward to the empty nest already. I think the Bible teaches us that there are some natural rhythms to our life. And probably the best known of the passages that address this is in the book of Ecclesiastes, where Solomon writes, For everything there is a season. For every activity under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to harvest, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build up. There is a time to cry and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. There is a time to fill the nest and a time to kick those little buggers out. It's actually not in Ecclesiastes. I wrote it in the margin. And it is never too early for us to begin to pray about and think about and plan for the empty nest. To think about what your life will be like when the two of you are together alone and the kids are grown and gone. That phase of life is full of both challenges and opportunities. 
And there are some things we can do to make that transition less difficult and more fulfilling. One of the key things we have to do when we are approaching that stage is we have to find common ground again with our spouse. Proverbs 5 is written from the husband's perspective, but it applies to both people in any marriage. Proverbs says, Enjoy the wife you married as a young man, lovely as an angel, beautiful as a rose. Don't ever quit taking delight in her body. Never take her love for granted. And then he gets really brutal when he says, Why would you trade enduring intimacies for cheap thrills with a whore? Some of you now are interested in reading the Bible for the very first time. (laughs) It is so relevant. But it's brutally honest. It's just there. And that graphic metaphor helps us realize what we are choosing when we choose to pursue something other than the spouse that we married when we were young. To put it bluntly, it makes the choice really obvious for us. We don't accidentally end up in our marriages with enduring intimacy. To have a good relationship in our marriage takes effort. We have to be intentional. Because all the transitions we go through in life are going to test our resolve to love, honor, and cherish as long as we both shall live. Now, knowing that I was going to do this talk in a few weeks, Connie and I began talking about what that transition was like for us 12 years ago. And Tuesday, I just, or Thursday, I texted her and I said, I just need to walk through this with you once more. Let's grab a Starbucks and talk. And it's safe to say that we both agree that after two days of, two decades of raising kids, the people who walked into the empty nest were not the same two people who walked down the aisle and expressed their vows. One of our biggest challenges, one of the first challenges that we faced when our kids left home was to find something to talk about that didn't involve the kids or work. You know, you ever been in that place? You just want to have like a normal adult conversation with your spouse that doesn't have to do with poopy diapers or failing grades or It's just about stuff of life. And we struggled. And the silence between us was deafening. Eventually, we did just a very practical thing. We got one of those flip calendars that has a different question for you as a couple to talk about every day. And it felt odd that as long as we'd been married, we needed help figuring out what to talk about. But we loved the questions in the book. Because they were questions that got down to our hopes and our dreams. The stuff that was possible again, now that the kids were grown. I still remember one of those questions very vividly. It was, if money were no object, where would you live? And what would your house be like? We talked about that one for days. Just took us down all kinds of paths of what we wanted to dream about and think about now that the kids were grown and gone. Conversations like that are an investment in your relationship. They help us understand who our spouse has really become over the years because all through the years, you change. Sometimes we just forget to tell each other that we've changed. So we have to go on this discovery process again once the kids leave home. And what Proverbs, I think, at the core is saying to us 
is we need to re-engage when that time comes. We need to do that so that we can enjoy the person that we married in our youth and not ever take their love for granted. That we have to be intentional in this phase, maybe more intentional than we have ever been in our marriage. So grab some time and talk. How do you want to spend your evenings and your weekends now that the kids are grown and gone? Connie and I found it helpful. We don't do this every day, but we're pretty consistent about either grabbing a cup of coffee or grabbing a glass of wine and just sitting down at the end of the day, like when we get home from work, to process our day. What's it been like? What's going on? What are we thinking? And in the process, you discover things that you want to do together. Some things that Maybe you've never done in your married life. They've always been out there. Or some things that you used to do that you want to re-engage in. We took a cooking class together. We just had a blast laughing and talking through it. And it fostered a new way for us to interact and cook together in the kitchen. We picked up a habit we hadn't had for 20 years. A good one. Um, We started riding a motorcycle again. We got rid of that when the kids were little. We got back into riding a motorcycle. And we absolutely love it. What is it that you want to do with the empty nest? Find some common ground. The ground that keeps you from drifting apart as a couple, from doing what a lot of people have pegged as this phase of life where you live a married but single life. Not only do we have to find common ground as a couple, but when we hit this phase, we also have to redefine our role as parents. Once our kids are launched, it all gets redefined. Our kids still need us for advice, for consultation, and in the best scenarios, to be friends with them. What they don't need from us in that phase is somebody to constantly monitor them, to steer them, to discipline them. It's a very different phase of parenting, and it's normal and natural for that phase to be awkward and difficult for both of you, for you as the couple and for your kid who's leaving home. Our kids don't look to us the same way they did. I'm grateful that we talked with our kids about this transition as we were heading towards it and how awkward it potentially could feel for everybody. In our, uh, bo- for both of our kids, when they hit their senior year, we decided to give them a taste of the freedoms that they would enjoy in college while they still had the safety net at home. Because we've seen a lot of kids go to their freshman year and just crash and burn because they have freedoms they don't know what to do with. So we gave that to them before they left home. We said, in your senior year, you don't have a curfew. They lit up with that one. But you do have to keep your responsibilities up at home and at school. You have to be courteous, the same way we hope you'll be with roommates someday, and at least let us know when or if you're coming home that night. And if you abuse yourself in the process, if you start to abuse us because you're abusing yourself, we may pull the freedoms back a little bit as a part of this learning experience. We started to change our role with them in how we communicated with them. We encouraged them to talk about and share what they were thinking and feeling, their fears, their hopes, and to do that knowing that we do our best not to judge them, and we wanted the same extended to us. We tried to follow James' advice when he says, be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to become angry. That's really relevant as your kids are leaving home. And you start to listen more and talk less in the relationship. 
We also tried to limit the unsolicited advice into their life. We only gave unsolicited advice if we felt like they were doing something that was incredibly dangerous and potentially harmful. I think we did our best in that window to live by this verse from Ephesians that says, don't provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. And we were just experimenting. Honestly, our kids hit the empty nest, hit that transitional phase together, and we were just experimenting. We said to them, we didn't read this anywhere. We're just thinking this might work. We're going to try this. And we expect in this process that you're going to make some bad choices. You won't think they are, but they are. And that's okay. We expect you to make some mistakes along the way. We just want you to start making those mistakes while you still have a safety net at home. And it's a difficult way to parent. It really is. It's not the way that my parents raised me. And so it's, it feels like you're developing a new muscle. And it isn't easy. It's challenging to watch your kids make a mistake knowing they're going to make a mistake. We want to rescue them from their pain. It's like when you've got a toddler learning to walk. You want to catch them before they hit the floor, right? But our kids need to learn from their mistakes at least the ones that aren't catastrophic. It's how we learn to live life. I believe the choices that we make will define our character and ultimately define who we become. And we need to give our kids that freedom, that space to figure out who they want to become. They need us now as a mentor and a coach, not a parent who hovers over their every single decision. That's a necessary, hard transition in life. Ultimately, it comes down to trusting God. That God's got your kid right in the palm of his hand, and he's got you there too. Isaiah 46 has this beautiful promise for us when God says, I will be your God throughout your lifetime until your hair is white with age. Now, I'm approaching that stage rapidly. I'm in denial. I'm actually there. And I kind of read this and go, does that mean God's done with me when my hair gets totally white? I don't think so. He says, I'll be your God. I made you, and I will care for you. I will carry you along, and I will save you. He's got you. He's got your kids. I think lastly, this season of life provides us with a tremendous opportunity to evaluate all of life. There's a really good chance for most of us that we're going to have a third of our life left once the kids leave home. And so it gives us this opportunity to just ask some really good questions, like, where are we in our journey? Where are we as a couple? Where do we want to be? What's the path that's going to get us there? And the cool part is that the empty nest gives us a pretty much a blank slate to start over with those things. And there are some really fun things that happen in the empty nest. Just to give you something to look forward to. I, I could have done the whole message on just the things I've observed that are fun about the empty nest, but I'll just give you a few. <laughs> First, you can leave the house for work in the morning, leave it clean and orderly, and it will be that way when you get back home. Second, there is always enough hot water for a really good shower. (laughs) Got to tell you, it's one of my favorites. 
There is also no more tension in the air about modest clothing or curfews or who gets to sit where in the car. That's done. Connie rides in the back, I ride in the front. It's done. I am so sorry, hon. Not really. Um, you, you have car insurance that's affordable again. And it's fun to watch the shock on their faces when they get their first insurance statement and they go, what? It costs that much? I go, yeah, because you both totaled a car. It's nice to watch them feel your pain. And then maybe my favorite, you can fool around on the couch in the middle of the day and nobody's going to bother you. As long as you remember to close the drapes. It's just a fun phase of life. And we have a choice when we hit the transition. Are we going to wallow in nostalgia or will we embrace the future? Instead of lamenting who's gone and what's changed and wishing for the good old days, we can choose to look forward, to plot a new course, to make adjustments. So sit down and create a list of the things that you've always wanted to do but couldn't while you were raising your kids. You want to travel? Travel. You want to learn a new skill? You want to find a new career? You want to go back to school? It is never, ever too late. We have a really good friend who, once her kids left home, decided she was going to go back and finish her psychology degree. She got a PhD in psychology after her kids left home. And a college hired her to begin crafting a program to train people in a master's degree program for counseling. She did that at 65 years old. You have those options. I am convinced that God has a tremendous future for us at every stage of life and parenting. There is a great future for you. And this promise, one of my favorite in the book of Jeremiah, is for all of our life. I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And when you hit this transition, you'll call on me, God says. You'll come and you'll pray to me and I'll listen. I'll hear your every prayer. Don't get me wrong. We loved raising our kids. We enjoyed having a family at home. And if you have kids, Enjoy them. Cherish every single moment. Because I am that old guy who's going to tell you this morning, those days will pass faster than you can imagine. And you will survive. Give you that assurance. You'll survive. And there will come a day, believe it or not, where you miss the busyness that's a part of your life right now. Someday, you'll miss it. So enjoy this phase if you've got kids at home, knowing that there is another phase of life coming where this crazy, busy schedule is behind you. And 12 years into that, I can assure you, it's a great season of life. It's a season where we gather our family together in our home and we have a wonderful time when they're all there and we have a wonderful time when they leave. We love our life together, alone. And in those times alone together, I have learned to love again the wife that I married in my youth. 
I discovered again a woman who has layers of complexity and beauty and strength that somehow I missed in those years and in the hustle of raising two kids. I was reminded this week of Robert Browning's poem that he wrote, and it's a great prayer for us as we head towards the empty nest. He says, look, grow old along with me. The best is yet to be the last of life for which the first was made. Our times are in his hand, who said, a whole I planned, and youth shows but half. Trust God, see all, and don't be afraid.